On February 2nd, 40 days after Christmas, the Catholic and the Episcopal churches have a celebration day called the Feast or Festival of the Presentation. And it's a time set aside to remember the story that we are about to read together from the Gospel of Luke. Even though this isn't a tradition that we hold in the Protestant church, particularly the Methodist church, I believe there's something that we can learn from our friends and other faith traditions. What is it about this story that leads us to pause and reflect? As we lean into this new practice together this evening, I invite you to ponder this question and wonder with me what word or phrase the Spirit writes upon your heart. What is the Spirit stirring within you? And after I read the scripture, uh, we will do a time of sharing again what that word might be. If you're joining us online, put that word in the comment section. We'd love to hear from you. I'm reading from a few verses of the long verses in your bulletin. I'm going to read specifically starting in verse 25 through 35. So hear now the word of God from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2, verses 25 through 35. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout looking forward to the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit rested on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Guided by the Spirit, Simeon came to the temple. And when the parents brought the child Jesus to do for him what was customary under the law, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Lord, now you are dismissing your servant in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And the child's father and mother were amazed at what was being said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to his mother Mary, This child is destined for the falling and the rising of many in Israel to be a sign that will be opposed, so that the inner thoughts of many will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul too." My friends, this is the word of God given to us as the children of God, and we say together, thanks be to God. Will you join me in prayer? May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be found pleasing in your sight this evening, Lord Jesus. For you are our rock and our redeemer, our present help in time of trouble. Amen. All right, friends, so what word or phrase stirred up in your spirit as we read this story together? Do not be afraid. Just shout it out one at a time. And the Holy Spirit rested on him. Yes. What else? 
guided by the Spirit. That's a sword will pierce your own soul. Yeah. Mary and Joseph were amazed when they said that. Yes. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yes, they still were amazed. Any others? Mm. Yes, he said uh, the falling and the rising of many in Israel to be a sign that will be opposed. Thank you, Keith. And yet the consolation of Israel, yes. The beauty of the tradition of holding these seemingly crazy festival days, a lot of many of them, if you look at the life of the church, of the Catholic church, it gives us a space to read and reflect on parts of scripture that we don't often hear in worship, either on a Sunday morning or even in this time together this evening. By this time in our church calendar, we have moved far beyond the story of Jesus's birth and the stories we claim to be part of this narrative. We blow right past Jesus' childhood, touch briefly on his baptism, and sail right into his ministry like none of the other things have happened. But in doing so, we miss precious stories like this one where we wonder at what God is up to and how we are invited to be part of this story too. So as we honor the practice of our siblings and other traditions, we bring our mind back to 40 days after Jesus was born. According to Jewish law, Joseph and Mary brought Jesus to the temple at this time. While they were there, a curious man approaches by the name of Simeon. Now, Scripture doesn't tell us much about who this man was, but what we do know is that he was a devout and religious man. That means he did absolutely everything he could to love God and to love others. He followed the religious laws to a T, observed all the appropriate holidays, said all of the right words, prayed for all of the right things. And one right thing in particular, the consolation of Israel. A more literal translation of this Greek word used here would be the calling to one's side, a longing for something or someone to bring God's people back to God's side once again. They were praying for the Messiah. And for years, maybe even since Simeon was old enough to speak and recite the Hebrew chants in the temple, we can imagine that he had been praying and hoping for this promised Messiah, the one who would draw Israel back to God for good. But day after day, month after month, year after year, God's people prayed. 
You can imagine that after years and years of praying for one thing, hoping for one thing, God's people might have gotten a little tired of praying, a little tired of waiting. I wonder if the prayers that were once filled with hope because simple words after prayed over and over, full of meaning, those words grow dim and become devoid of that meaning, recited simply out of ritual to check the box. I think for many of us, it's easy to identify with the people of Israel. I think we know what it is to pray for something with so much earnest and gusto for years and wondering if that prayer will ever come to fruition. Maybe it's for clarity and direction about choosing a new job, a new path, finding your God-given purpose in a new season of life. Maybe you've been praying for peace for our world and justice to abound where there seems to be no peace and no justice. Maybe your prayer is for a friend with cancer or a child struggling with addiction or your spouse to discover a relationship with Christ. Over and over again, we pray the same prayers. Whatever it is that you might have been praying for, we know that the more and more we pray with no evidence of it coming to fruition, the harder and harder it is to pray and to wait and to believe that God can and will do exactly what it is that we are asking God to do. Day after day, month after month, year after year, our prayers become empty words once filled with so much hope and promise and belief. So we get tired of praying, tired of waiting. But Simeon, Simeon was different. His prayers were never simply words. They were filled with something else, an expectancy that led him to not simply pray, but to order his life in such a way that he was actually looking forward to the consolation of Israel, looking for evidence, looking for a sign of the Messiah. Then one day, Simeon's prayer was answered. Guided by the Spirit, he made his way to the temple and sang these words,
After years of praying, years of waiting, Simeon not only saw the Messiah, he got to hold in his arms a baby that would one day be the consolation of Israel, the bringing back of Israel to God. And that was enough for him. But I don't know about you, but I'm not sure if I can wait years and years for the things that I am praying about like Simeon did. And yet, he did wait his entire life knowing and trusting and believing that this moment would arrive. So how did he do it? How did he pray and pray and pray and continue believing that God would fulfill God's promises? I'm sure you all have noticed by now that I begin each sermon with inviting us to experience the scripture together in a new way. And usually I ask you to notice where the Spirit is igniting something within you, like I did just moments ago. I begin our time together that way because it's the way I begin my writing process for a sermon, but also my own spiritual devotion time. I believe that is the purest way to hear what it is that God is, is saying to us in that moment in time for exactly what we need to hear. By noticing that what the Spirit is stirring within me, I can use that as a launching pad for my prayer and for my research. So this week, I too was captivated by the phrase, guided by the Spirit. And as it took a closer look, I noticed something incredible. From the moment we are introduced to Simeon, to the moment that he meets Jesus for the first time. For this whole prayer journey, Simeon was never alone in prayer. He had a prayer partner, the Holy Spirit. The scripture tells us that when Simeon prayed, the Spirit rested on him. And we can imagine that in the moments where prayer was hard for Simeon, because I'm sure they were. The Holy Spirit revealed to him that his prayer would be answered, that he would get to see the Lord before his death. Then, when the time came, however long it took between that moment of revelation and the time Jesus was born, he was guided by the Holy Spirit, his prayer partner, to the temple. He was never alone in prayer. The Holy Spirit was present, praying alongside him, walking with him on this journey of faith. Because this is what the Holy Spirit does. In the very next gospel, Jesus tells us, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, from whom, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you everything and remind you of all that I have said to you. Remind you of the promises. And then Paul tells us the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For when we do not know how to pray, 
The spirit intercedes with sighs too deep for words. So each and every time we pray, we pray alongside the Holy Spirit, our advocate, whether we know the Spirit's present or not. But that word advocate is translated literally as one who comes alongside, drawing us back to God's side as Simeon prayed from the very start. So we trust that as we pray for everything weighing on our hearts, the Spirit of God is walking with us, guiding us, and sometimes even praying for us when we don't have the words, carrying us to the promise that is to come. In the name of the Father and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.